Newsbreak podcast. Sunday afternoon, my favorite time of the day. I get to spend it with you, an hour-long conversation with you. What more could I ask for? This is Newsbreak Talk. I'm Tadesh Hari Prashad, and we are focusing today on a very important issue because September is Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Awareness Month. That's PCOS, what it's generally known as. And we decided to put the spotlight on this, taking into account that a lot of conversation is being had about this condition and the challenges thereof. We're going to be speaking to some really interesting guests today. I look forward to speaking to Nivashni Nair Sukhdev. Uh, she's an author who's just fresh off the uh, Durban Book Fair that's currently taking place. And she um, wrote about her challenges and her story, What's On My Mind? Making Babies. So we're going to talk to her about that and the challenges she's faced in that regard. It's going to be a very insightful uh, discussion. And Dr. Jay Bhagrati is going to be joining us as well. He's uh, an expert in the field with so many years of experience in helping women understand this condition. So I felt it was an interesting one for us and something that we should definitely throw focus on. So that's what we're going to be spending most of our time today talking about. But before we do that, let's keep you updated and let's pay tribute rather to um, two stories that have been very close to your heart. The family of Nathaniel Judis says life will never be the same without him. Judis, who had a dance, uh, had Down syndrome, was buried on Saturday. The boy was shot and killed last week, allegedly by police in Eldorado Park, south of Johannesburg. Three police officers have since been arrested. Community members allege that the implicated officers told staff at the Bhagwanath Hospital that the boy was caught in the crossfire between rival gangs. His funeral service was held at the Mount Carmel Ministries. Ditaba Tsutsetsi attended the funeral. Eldorado Park residents came out in their numbers to pay their last respects to Nathaniel Julius. His mother, Bridget Harris, says she holds special memories of her son and she will always cherish them. She was speaking at his funeral service where only family members and close relatives were allowed access into the venue. Our wonderful boy, Nathaniel, for 16 years, he has borrowed me for him for 16 years, and that's one thing Scorpion can never take me away from me. He has engraved um, wonderful memories in our hearts. Scorpion might have took him away from us, but we will always have these memories. His peers say the police have become the enemy of the community and they are now scared of them. For a policeman to shoot someone that has nothing to do with anyone, it's just heartbreaking. I am very scared. Now I'm very scared. Now I don't know what are they going to do over us, things, but I'm very scared. Yeah, I'm very scared. The same thing, well, it can happen. I won't say it well, but it can happen. This community member says, as a parent, Julie's death is heartbreaking. It's very painful, especially for a parent to say goodbye to a, a son in this way. More especially when I looked at that child's face in the coffin. Did a child have to get hurt so badly? It's so painful to see. I think the most important thing today is the respect for him and what he'd done and how the joy he brought to the community. Respect of his disability, he was well loved and he was well liked.
and it's hard to say goodbye to something so, so horrible and traumatic. The ACDP leader, Kenneth Meshe, who also attended the funeral service, has called on the National Prosecuting Authority not to grant bail to the suspects accused of killing Nathaniel Julius. That the perpetrators must not be given bail. They are guilty of murder. They must not only be charged for murder, but also for possessing illegal ammunition that they are not supposed to have in their possession. Why did they even use that kind of ammunition or bullet to shoot at a, an innocent boy who is sick? I mean, the boy is, was not healthy, the boy was not well. Uh, so they must be punished severely so that uh, people who have concluded that all police are brutal, they will know that uh, brutality is punished. Nathaniel Julius has been laid to rest at the Lip Spread Cemetery in Soweto. I'm Dittabasotis in Johannesburg. Mm, emotions running high there. And then another tribute to pay this afternoon, ANC-NEC member Dr. Zwelinim Kize has described the late Lieutenant General Dr. Vijayanand Inderjit Ramlakan as a selfless military. He cut his political teeth during his student days while a medical student at the then University of Natal. It was during his student days that he joined the ANC's underground structures and became part of the MK's Operation Butterfly. In 1986, he was, however, arrested and sent to Robben Island. ANC NEC member Zuelim Kiz explains. He was not driven by greed or self-interest and he never got succumbed, consumed by factional tendencies that, that, that have ravaged our movement to, be, to make it barely recognizable. Leaders need to all be reminded that the ANC is not merely a passport to, is not merely a passport to high office or, or, or self-enrichment, but it was a movement created for all our people as an instrument for liberation from oppression. Comrade Vijay leaves us at a time when our country is facing several crises that require honest and principled leadership. For many people, Lieutenant General Vijay was a medical doctor and a soldier, but to his children, the man was a pillar of strength. One of his daughters, Rosa Ramkaran, says Dr. Vijay was very close to his children. My dad still had plans for his life. He had big plans and small plans. He is beyond them now. But me, my sister Anisha, my brother Kirit, my cousins, and the very many people my dad was a father figure to are left to wonder what will we will do in his absence. Who will be there when we need help in the middle of the night? Who could we trust to drop everything to help us? I'm going to miss you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. His fellow comrades and friends described him as a humble man, yet fearless and principled. One of them is ANC veteran Mek Maharaj. It's time to celebrate. To celebrate a life well lived, a life devoted to the service of the people. Go well, Comrade Vijay. You join the band of freedom fighters who remind us, the living, that our task is not yet done. Of all his achievements in the South African National Defense Force, most notable was that he was entrusted with the health care of the late former President Nelson Mandela. Defense Minister Nosivima Pisangakula says Lieutenant General Vijay was also very close to the late statesman. Vijay had a very special relationship with Matiba. It was an extraordinary kind of situation. Even though he wasn't 
when Tata passed on in 2013, he wasn't the Surgeon General. But when Tata passed on that night in his house, VJ was there because throughout he had never left his bedside. When Tata was at the heart clinic, I recall, because you'll wake up in the morning, 7 o'clock, you'll find VJ in hospital and you'll be received by him together with the rest of the team which was looking after Matiba. Although Lieutenant General VJ retired in 2015, but the SNDF still held him in high regard for all his immense contribution in the Defence Force. He is survived by his wife Sandy and three children. I am Vusi Makosini in Devon. So yeah, paying tributes to um, some very important people today and I hope that brought you some sort of insight into their lives. So, yes, like I told you, we're going to be shifting focus now. We're going to be focusing on PCOS because September is Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Awareness Month. And I look forward to finding out a bit more about this and also giving you some insight into it by sharing some um, really personal accounts of this particular syndrome. And when we come back, we talk to our uh, special guest today. This Tuesday evening at 7.30 on SABC3, the Insider SA explores the theme of texture. Join us as we head out on a foraging expedition with a top chef. Meet an artist creating one-of-a-kind pieces with coffee on canvas and a couple making designer fashion from upcycled rubber tire tubing. Plus, see how local mohair is being woven into designer rugs with international appeal. That's the Insider SA, Tuesday at 7.30. Repeat, Saturday night at 8, only on SABC3. Just after a quarter past 12 on Newsbreak Talk, I'm Tadesh Hari Parshad, keeping you company this afternoon. So let's welcome now onto the program Nivashni Nair Sukhdev. She's the author of What's On My Mind, Making Babies. And she detailed her account of battling PCOS in this book and um, gave us a glimpse into her life, gave us an understanding as to what she went through. And while it may have been her story, but several women across the country um, have related to this and have shared their experiences with her, bringing it um, very close to this idea of sharing uh, information about conditions that you may have and finding out that in between each story, there is common, there are common challenges and certainly something that you could learn from. So let's welcome Nivashni onto the program. Nivashni, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. So before we talk about uh, so much today about the condition, I want to ask you, must have been great being at the book fair. It definitely was. I didn't expect the response. Um, I was very overwhelmed by the number of women and men who had come out, not just to support authors, but to actually support the cause to try and raise awareness for polycystic ovarian syndrome and infertility. As you know, there's a lot of stigma attached to both conditions. So to see people come out and openly speak about it really warmed my heart. Mm. And what were some of the feedback that you received from many as you know you interacted with so many during the share of information during the session? I think that most people agreed with me that uh, by exposing and sharing our stories, we actually get strength from it. So 
many of the women that had come up to me after the book fair and heard me speak and had bought my book had said that they were waiting for somebody to actually come out and speak about polycystic ovarian syndrome because for so many people live it in shame. Um, they also felt that reading the book, they had experienced almost everything that I went through. While um, not every polycystic ovarian syndrome story and infertility journey is the same, we do share the same symptoms and the same pain, heartache, trials and tribulation. So the feedback that I got was absolutely remarkable. Mm. And on that note then, Navashni, I want to ask you now to, to share it with us and let us know, let us into your personal journey um, when did you discover or realize that you suffered from polycystic ovarian syndrome? Well, more than three decades ago. I was nine years old when I first started menstruating and I had to see a gynecologist at nine years old. So that was my first step in my journey. And it was really hard because at nine you don't understand. But I was very lucky because my parents and my siblings and close family members had started to research it. There wasn't much information about it, but they tried very hard to stand by me. And as the years went by, um, I simply ignored that I had this condition. Yeah. Nivashni, I, I want to ask you there, at nine years old, what symptom or what you know feeling you know leads you to the doctor now where you have to investigate this okay so i had irregular periods that was basically an overbleeding um i'm told uh, i was told when i was nine years old after gynecologist that although i didn't understand it obviously that sometimes uh girls who have polycystic ovarian syndrome do start to menstruate at uh, at an early age so he had done a scan and he had discovered that there, I had polycystic uh, ovaries. And um, so I basically, the first course of treatment was birth control. But obviously, uh, my mother was definitely not going to be putting me on birth control at nine years old, even if it was just to regulate my um, period. And as the years went by... Uh, there was more intervention because medical specialists had now started to research the disease or the condition more. And it was only after I got married that I really had to take on polycystic ovarian syndrome, not just because I wanted to have a baby, but the physical changes were so significant that it was affecting my life. Um, How? Have, what kind yeah. of impact does it have on your life when you do have this condition? Okay, so the physical changes were that I had rapid weight gain even if I didn't eat badly. Um, I had acne. My hair would fall in clumps. I was moody all the time. Um, I had skin discoloration. And there were moments when I would look at myself in the mirror and while I had um, achieved in my career, I was happily married, I could not like the person that I saw in the mirror because I didn't recognize myself. I hated taking photos. I stayed away from family functions because people would always talk about my weight before, immediately after saying hello. Um, the next question would be, when are you having a baby? Uh, so I then became very angry about this condition, but I was open about it. I never, ever hid that I had this condition. And as the years went by, I decided in 2014, um, when I met my doctor, uh, after being to many doctors, I had gone back to the doctor that I saw in 2009, and he was so open to me about what was going on that he encouraged me to take on this disorder. 
and I publicly declared my battle against polycystic ovarian syndrome. I publicly on Facebook said, I am starting a war and I'm fighting this. And the treatment, sadly... I want to ask you though, Nivashni, at that point, you say you publicly started this and you say you're starting a war against PCOS. But from a woman who couldn't look in the mirror, you say, how did you make that switch to just suddenly become a warrior against this condition? Um, it was because I was fed up of being me, of looking in the mirror and hating that person. But it was also because I had a doctor and a husband and parents and siblings who encouraged me. I was now in this war, but I had this army. And it was basically these people who said I could do it. Before, I would, although I spoke about my uh, condition, I would internalize it. But now I was speaking about it, and I had these people who said I could do it, and also because my doctor was now offering me proper treatment. Yeah. And so what was the first step then in terms of, and, and we're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Jay Bhagrati, who's going to be giving us a bit more of a scientific insight into this. So I really want to get your personal story with it. So maybe we'll you know, leave out some of your treatment uh, mechanisms yeah. for a little bit later. But at what point then did you really feel that this was taking off, this fight was actually taking off and that you wanted to go more within it and become a warrior of, of the cause? It started when, my, uh, when I got feedback from my very first post. I had not expected that so many people who were friends with me on social media were going through the exact thing and had been quiet about it. And it was only when they started saying, hey, Nivashni, I also have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and thank you for doing this, and we can do it and keep going. And that's when I realized that there needed to be a voice. And I always say this. It started off in 2014 with me posting on my own Facebook uh, account. But then I started a group, and I had 1,300 women and men who are affected by polycystic ovarian syndrome, but they very rarely comment openly. Yet I get private messages often asking for advice, and that should show you how people still associate shame with it. So it was only because of this that I said I have to take this on fully. If I don't, and I'm somebody who's been battling it for nine years, from the time I was nine, who would? So that's when I took the first step. Talk to me about that stigma then. Where does it stem from? I mean, we understand stigma and, and, and um, you know, stereotypical judgments from society comes from varied spaces. But when a woman has polycystic ovary syndrome, what is the stigma and what is the social perception of it? We eat too much. That's what people think we do. One of the major symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome is weight gain. The saddest thing about it is that in order to treat the condition, you have to lose weight, and yet it's the condition that makes you put on weight. So women who um, suffer from polycystic ovarian syndrome have to work almost four times harder to try and lose weight. And people don't think that you have a condition. So you now suddenly you have put on all this weight, and there's a stigma. You eat too much. Your skin, why do you look like this? And then... From polycystic ovarian syndrome, you have infertility. It's one of the leading causes of infertility. So then you have people who, as much as we are living in a society where 
uh, women no longer have to worry about having to have that role of only being a mother. Most women do want to be a mother, and society expects it. And even though you don't need to conform to society, you want to be a mother. But people then there's the stigma of you not of you not being able to conceive. Yeah, and I've yeah. heard the word barren yeah. so often. It's yeah. absolutely scary. Mm, shocking. Talk to me then about your journey to become a mother. I know that. I um, mean, you're talking about how special it is. Um, you know, at, at what part did you start family planning? And in itself, was that frightening for you, knowing that you have PCOS? It was very frightening. Um, I knew we started to try and have a baby when I first got married in 2009. And my son was born in 2016, so that should tell you what a long journey it was. I knew right from the start that it wasn't going to be an easy one. I also knew right from the start, as Professor Bagrati, who was my doctor, had said to me in 2014 that while miracles occur, some fertility stories which have a happy ending can only happen with science. And so I took every single step and explored every single avenue to have a baby, that included several surgeries, uh, five failed artificial insemination procedures, one failed IVF. And then in 2016, we had just two embryos frozen. And my son happened to be one of those frozen embryos. And today he's three years old. Five failed IUIs. What did that yes. feel like every time it didn't go your way? It felt like somebody had died in our house. We mourned. Uh, Professor Bagrati did advise us to mourn because we were mourning. It was a loss of not just embryos and um, money because, we, you know, fertility treatment is expensive. It was the loss of an assumed future. Our assumed future was that we were going to be parents. And whenever we failed, whenever we got the test results to say negative, it was a loss of that assumed future, and it's devastating. What does it's it do high. to you, Nivashni? How do you pick yourself up from that? Because you're mourning, and, and, and forgive me for saying this, but you're mourning more often than people generally mourn in their lives. Exactly. So what we do is we'd mourn, we'd mourn for a little bit, and then we'd pick ourselves up. Because the best thing about being married to somebody who's such a great supporter it means that we knew that we could count on each other to follow this dream no matter what. That was what we said, no matter what. So we would mourn. We'd go through the motions because you have to. You can't pretend it didn't happen. And then we'd say, we're doing this. We're going to try again. And we did. You did. And this is um, the celebration at the end of it. Listen to this, Nivashini. Are you mommy and daddy? <laughs> so if you didn't know who that was, that's Riyav Sukhdev. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Riyav Sukhdev is Nivashni's three-year-old son. Wow. And He's currently with my parents I in Pisa I just want to say, I just want to at this point say to you, what did that moment feel like? You just told me I've mourned, I've had an unsuccessful IVF treatment, I never thought I was going to be a mother. And then the next instant I play you that voice note. What went through your heart? Well, right now I do have tears in my eyes because Rohan, that's my husband, and I, all parents love their children. All parents know that their children are miracles. But every night when Ria falls asleep, my husband, it's, it's actually become like a tradition. 
he'll always turn to me and say, Nini, that's my nickname. Nini, how did we get so lucky? And I always say, I don't know. And when you play that, I always have to think, it's like, how did we get so lucky? Yeah. And and has it made you just, you know, I mean, you have a success story on your hand and we just heard it, right? What has it done for you in this fight with PCOS? Uh, meaning, are you still as committed to that fight, knowing that you've had your success story? I'm more committed than anything. I'm more committed because I hear so many other people have the fight. And I'm not going to let it go. And it's not about a book. It's about... because. The book only came out this year. I've been fighting this from 2014 online with a group of women who believe or look to me as their inspiration. And I'm going to continue fighting it because, as you said, it's Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome Month, um, Awareness Month around the world. Sadly, in South Africa, it's not observed as it should be. And I'm going to continue fighting for it until it is because... These stories need to come out because only when you tell your story do you find strength to help other people. Mm. Wonderful, Nivashni. I want to know about the story. I want to talk to you then about writing the book, the process that went into that, the um, uh, catharsisism that went through that, because surely it must have been a, a renewal of a journey for you to put it down to paper like that. So wonderful, wonderful to um, to speak to you on, on this but at a point now, I'm going to bring in uh, somebody who very graciously accepted the invitation to join us today, Nivashni, and that's uh, Dr. Jay Bhagrati, who's going to be providing us, you know, some sort of scientific insight into this. And uh, we will continue our conversation. So stay on the line, Nivashni. And we, while you do that, I think you can also just marvel then at some of the messages that are coming through. Uh, we've got Ramba Mudli, who says it's a lovely topic, and I trust that all the females are listening intently. And here's another voice note that we have. My precious, precious daughter, Nivashni, you have always, always made us proud. But today, as parents, we sit here and we are even more prouder for your bravery. We have joined you and we have shared your struggle but the one thing we could not share your pain but you and rohan have given us the greatest joy of having rehab with us nivashni wipe your tears i can see it all the way through the telephone <laughs> thanks Maria. i'm sitting with a box of tissues <laughs> um i see the support hey that you were talking yeah. about, and we're going to touch on that as, as well at the end. But um, yeah, Anivashni's, uh, that was your mom, right? Yes, my yeah. mother. Yeah. Okay, so on that note then, very, very heartfelt conversation today. Let me uh, welcome Professor Jaintilal Bhagrati, of course, Professor um, qualified from the University of uh, Natal uh, in 1983 and has been specializing in this field since 1990, servicing many Durban hospitals, uh, St. Augustine's being a chief one of them. And he's made the time, Professor Bhagrati, to talk to us today. Hi, Professor, how are you doing? Hi, good day, Teresh, and good day to the listeners. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, so we've been just getting the personal insight into uh, Nivashni and finding out more about her condition. Um, let's ask you some of the science about it now and help us understand, you know, just very simply, what is polycystic ov ovary syndrome? 
You know, thank you. Uh, I think before I go to what is polycystic ovary syndrome, I think one has to understand the impact this condition has on a woman, a couple's life, and a family life. And Nivashni has uh, demonstrated that uh, most aptly in her book. And uh, as a healthcare professional, uh, when I teach my students as well, I've uh, got to take into cognizance not only the science and the medicine, you are a doctor, and you've got to look at the whole patient and her background, her psychological well-being. Because PCOS has, it has, in addition to being a reproductive disorder, the most common reproductive disorder, having metabolic problems, also having aesthetic problems. And, and as Mubarak said, you look in the mirror and you are not happy with what you see. And then it's all because of PCOS. But well, let's go on to that. What is polycystic ovary syndrome? As I said, it is the commonest endocrinopathy in women. It affects between 10 to 20% of women. And depending where in the world you are, we know that the highest prevalence is in, in Asian communities. Uh, and uh, that is because also there's a higher risk of diabetes mellitus in this, co- in this uh, co- community as well. So there's a strong correlation between the two, Professor? Yes. Now, polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, it's a syndrome because we do not know the cause. And it's a condition that can affect your periods, your fertility, and the hormones. And these hormones then have an, have an effect on your appearance, increasing your body weight, uh, giving you acne, and increasing hair growth. And long term, uh, it also has the metabolic effect that can affect your health. And as I said, can affect between 10 to 20% of women. Now, what are the polycystic ovaries? The polycystic ovaries are what we see on the scan. Usually, usually the ovaries are a bit larger, and there are numerous follicles in these ovaries. And what happens at the level of the ovaries? There's a dysregulation regarding the hormonal output. Now, there are two principal hormones that come out of the ovary. They are estrogen and progesterone and, uh, and androgens, uh, which come out from the the area of the ovaries that do not have follicles. So that's called the theca of the ovaries. And what happens is that under the influence of the luteinizing hormone from the pituitary and also insulin, we find that we have higher production of androgens like testosterone from the theca of the ovaries, and they influence those follicles. Those follicles have granulosa cells that produce estrogen. So it affects the follicular growth. So what happens? The follicle does not grow over 10 millimeters in size. Now, physiologically, in a natural cycle, the follicle needs to grow to 10 millimeters. It's selected, a dominant follicle, grows 1 to 2 millimeters a day, and by day 14, that follicle is 10 to 20 to 24 millimeters, and it ovulates. In PCOS, that does not happen. All the follicles get to about 8 to 10 millimeters, and they stop growing. Yeah. They stop growing yeah. because of the antigen excess in that intrafollicular environment. There are more antigens than estrogen. Yeah. And the egg, the oocyte, undergoes apoptosis. It mm. dies in that follicle. Yeah. So we yeah. find that we don't ovulate. And that is the problem at the level of the ovary. Mm. So I think at that point then, Professor, I want to say then, so what we understand, it's a hormonal imbalance there. Uh, what sort of hormone treatment or therapy goes into stabilizing and you know regulating it? Because I ask this in the sense of, uh, and I'm looking at it from, and of course, Professor, you will correct me, I know that, but I'm looking at it from, you know, whenever there's a hormonal imbalance, say from a mental health perspective, uh, if you're producing too much of serotonin, then you can take a, uh, 
you know, a suppressant to suppress the production of, of, of serotonin in the body, for instance. Does that not work with PCOS? Uh, yes. So we, as, a, as a doctor, one has to treat the symptoms of the condition. And principally, the symptoms relate firstly to irregular periods or no periods. So one can treat that with the pill. Or it can, it, it, the, the symptoms are the result of the antigen excess, which is the antigens on the skin, the hirsutism and the acne. And then one would treat that. Or the patient is having a, a difficulty in conceiving fertility and you'll treat that. So the symptoms of PCOS are, are, are treated, right? And, and to, to control that, one takes specifically each symptom. For example, if you are treating uh, uh, the acne and the hirsutism, then you will start with using uh, a hormonal contraceptive, the birth control pill. But central to the treatment of PCOS, before you go specifics to medication, is a lifestyle adaptation. You've got to change your lifestyle and you've got to lose weight, right? It is a genetic condition, PCOS, multi-genetic origin. And we, we haven't located a single gene because if, if, if we could locate a single gene, we could treat that. However, it, it, it's a multiple locus, so there's a family history of that. So we, we cannot, we, we don't have that. So that's why we treat the symptoms. Yeah. Professor, so having said that, the fact that it's a genetic um, condition, there's no way to prevent it, is there? Uh, Yes, we can. Uh, We have to start with we have to start with pregnancy. Uh, So a mother who has PCOS, uh, she is pregnant and she also has a very high ovarian antigen level in her circulation. And that can impact on her growing fetus. And, and when the fetus is born, that fetus will go through life. You already got the, the programming of that fetus in utero because of very high levels of androgen and insulin. And if you've got very high insulin resistance, you're programming that, that fetus. It's called the Barthes hypothesis. And what would happen in PCOS, you'd find these children will put on weight earlier. The earlier you put on weight, the earlier you, get your, your, you reach puberty. Because puberty is related to the body mass index. It's related to the amount of fat tissue, adipose tissue. So getting your, your, your uh, puberty going through and getting your period at the age of nine years, you had a critical body mass of 19 to 23% to stimulate to get, the, to get your menses. So the bottom line in prevention is to ensure that you keep your body weight within the range of 19 to 25. And that is very difficult nowadays because of our lifestyle and the diet that our young children are having. So that is the hallmark. Yeah, and but Professor, I want to ask though... To blame pro- because if I just go on with the genetics, yeah. uh, the, the genetics in a PCOS individual, they got what we call stingy genes. Whatever, whatever calories they take in, they're saving it for a rainy day. And the human species has to do that because I can give you a teleological reason for PCOS. By teleological, I mean I take a, a lifetime experience to explain a medical phenomenon. So one has to have reserves in the form of fat because fat is our reserve. In the time of starvation, you would use that fat to survive. To survive. And in PCOS, if you are having a good diet, you put on weight, you don't ovulate. But if there is famine, you will lose weight. And the PCOS girl who comes down from 75, 80 kilos to 50, 55 kilos, she will conceive and have birth and deliver. Whereas a young girl, the, the girl at 50 kilos will come to 30 and she will stop ovulating and will not get pregnant. 
in that way you can continue the species. So we need to have a genetic variation for the species. So that is a teleological reason for why we have PCOS. Yeah, Professor, I want to ask though, Professor, one of the, uh, you know, one of the uh, points that come about from those who do suffer from PCOS is that um, you put on weight even when you are not eating unhealthily. So from that perspective, how do you balance it? How do you manage it? Yes, Uh, well, as I said, you put on weight without eating unhealthy. Uh, I can can question that because this is two points. Firstly, you have these, as I said, these stingy genes. So whatever little you eat, you save it. Now, when I see my patients, they say they hardly eat. They hardly eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But it's what they eat between that. So we can do calorie counting. If you do calorie counting, the individual is having more calories than needed. The most important meal of the day is breakfast. Have a good breakfast. You exercise, you work during the day, you burn it out. Supper should be very light. I say have breakfast like a king and supper like a pauper. And that's what we should be doing. Now, the the insulin is a hormone that controls the level of glucose in the blood. Now, in PCOS, your body does not respond to the insulin. That's why we call that insulin resistance. So the level of the glucose goes higher. But to prevent the glucose levels becoming higher, your body now produces even more insulin. And the problem is that high levels of insulin, they lead to weight gain, irregular periods, and they affect the ovulation, and therefore you have fertility problems in addition to the high levels of testosterone. Yeah, yeah. Professor, what does PCOS then mean for long-term health? Well, if you, if you have PCOS, you are prone to developing diabetes. You are prone to developing high blood pressure. You are prone to developing cancer of the lining of the womb. That cancer of the lining of the womb happens, especially if women, if you have less than three periods a year you will find that the lining gets thickened because of the high levels of estrogen. And then that lining gets disordered and then in due, in, in due course can become uh, cancerous. So that is why it is very important that we give medication to make sure that lining is shed every three or four months. And to reduce these long-term health risks, um, you know, what can people do then to keep themselves healthier so that they can reduce such risks? Yeah, well, I'll say they need to have a healthy lifestyle, uh, eat a healthy, balanced diet. I have my own diet, uh, which is so restrictive to some of my patients. But uh, we want a diet that, is, that includes fruit and vegetables and whole foods. I mean, I was talking on lotus and endometriosis. The same thing applies. You know, we eat all these processed foods that's high in calories. You know, if you want to have uh, uh, carbohydrates, you know, they must be whole grain cereals, whole wheat, uh, pasta or brine rice. But have your fresh fruit and vegetables, and that will be helpful. You know, you've got to cut down the amount of sugar, the salt, and the caffeine. I mean, a lot of my patients, they love coffee. Can I not have one or two cups of coffee a day? You've got to, you've got to, you've got to decrease the amount of caffeine, salt, and sugar. Very important. And as I said, eat your meals regularly, especially your breakfast. And most important, please exercise at least for 30 minutes a day. That will be helpful. If you lose weight, uh, you will lower your resistance of insulin resistance and diabetes. You will lower your risk of heart problems. You will lower your risk of cancer of the womb. You will get more regular periods. You'll have an increased chance of becoming pregnant. You'll reduce your acne and your hair growth. And lastly, you will improve your mood 
and your self-esteem. And that is wonderful. You know, I see my patients, they lost 10 kilos, 15 kilos. They wow. Notice how beautiful I am, and, and yeah. that, is, that is wonderful. Yeah, amazing. Well, the important thing about weight loss, Mr. Teresh, is yeah. that you know the, the, the weight loss is around the abdomen, it's truncal obesity, and and we know that if you lose ten percent, five to ten percent of your body weight, if you are sixty kilos and you lost six kilos, you will lose thirty three percent of the fat in your tummy just by losing ten percent of your body weight, and then the hormone axis kicks off you ovulate and you easily can get pregnant. So it's all about lifestyle. I think it's time to wrap up with you then, Professor Bhagrati, but I'll bring Nivashni into the conversation. And the two of you have shared a very close relationship. Nivashni mentions you very fondly in her book. Um, Nivashni, you know, any anecdotes you'd like to share with us with regard to Professor Bhagrati? He said no coffee. I know you're a journalist, Nivashni. How on earth did you survive? Well, I'm very lucky that I don't drink coffee, um, but I have to be honest, I'm terrified of Prof. And he's <laughs> put me on air with him. But that's the relationship that we shared. Um, Prof has been an amazing doctor to me, and in my book, I actually have dedicated it to him, where I say I thank him for being our doctor and hands of God on earth, because there have been moments when he wasn't just my doctor. He encouraged me from the beginning, but obviously there were lots of, um, uh, at some stage I didn't like him because when I was uh, pregnant, I ended up in hospital for three months to try and save my unborn child. And despite all my escape efforts, uh, Prof made sure that I stayed there for three months. Yeah. Um, and Prof is right, though. Um, just to mention, I don't know if I mentioned this, um, my PCOS uh, symptoms reversed when I lost 28 kgs, and that was by following his diet and uh, going to the gym every single day. Professor, I, I think as you leave us, I just want to ask you on that, uh, and you may also share those anecdotes uh, with Nivashni there. But Professor, and this comes to the issue of what does it feel like to you knowing that you can do what you did for Nivashni, somebody who's battling to have a child, and you can make that possible. When you successfully hear of a woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome give birth or have a healthy, successful pregnancy, how do you feel? No, I, I, I feel good. You know, uh, I feel that every baby I deliver is my baby as well. Uh, but the, the, the most important thing, uh, I think, as a doctor, is I like to walk the road with my patient. Uh, I'm with them 100% of the, on, on the way. Even if she's in hospital for, for three months, she will tell you I would see her twice a day in hospital, you know. And uh, yes, I'm, a, I'm hard, maybe because uh, I'm a, a, a lecturer at university and maybe that's the teacher side of me uh, getting my students to, to really study and do things the right way. Uh, and But uh, I make sure that uh, my patient is following my orders uh, in a way that I know is beneficial for them. And pregnancy, uh, you know, I, I just delivered a lady three days ago in hospital and she's been in hospital for three weeks, and uh, her baby did not grow well. And I just delivered her on, on Wednesday, and she may be listening on this program. And I just got the placenta from the laboratory, and uh, it shows that the, that the cord was marginally inserted into the placenta. And what happens when the cord is marginally inserted? It twists on itself now and then. And that explains why her baby did not grow very well. You know, so uh, me, I thank Paramatma. I thank Paramatma for giving me the opportunity to ensure that I diagnose what's on this patient. 
Amazing. Yeah, amazing to hear Professor Jayanti Lal Bhagrati. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you sparing us uh, the insight and educating so many millions of people about this and hopefully we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Professor Jayanti Lal Bhagrati over there who was um, a, miracle, a miracle worker for Nivashni. Nivashni, we're going to talk to you about the writing process and, and what went into that. But first, let's go to some messages now. Uh, we've got... Um, yeah, we've got Mrs. Nirmala Devi Mudli from Amkumas says to our Nivashni, the life and health challenging experience. Wow, ain't you a tower of strength and a powerhouse of courage to rise and shine only to lead through this for others who are silently going through it. Uh, never to hide, but heed this call like you challenge it and bring it to light. And there's success in every health challenge experienced. Segri Padiachi from Newlands says, Thank you for this inspiring program on helping families to understand polycystic ovaries because I really wanted to know. Thank you. I'm so glad, Segri, that we were of help. Uh, Chapter 2 says, I admire your guest for her continued will and belief in her quest to have a loving child despite continuous disappointments. She never gave up. That in itself is a miracle uh, given the circumstances. So God bless to you. Uh, powerful words, Denivashni, a lot of support coming through. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much to all those who support me. To write the book now, did you write, start writing the book after Riyav was born? No. <laughs> Actually, um, many people would say to me whenever they heard my story, you should write a book, and I never listened to that. I just thought it was a comment, and years went by, and earlier this year, I was in hospital, and I met somebody, a nurse, who asked me if I had children and if I planned to have another, and I said I didn't have any other frozen embryos, and so she basically said, what's your story? And I told her, and when I was done, she started to cry, and she said that she was starting the IVF process, and she needed to hear somebody give her a story of hope. And now that I had, she was so happy that she was going to go home and tell her husband what I had said to her. And as she was leaving my room after taking my vital, she turned to me and she said, you should write a book. And that's when I decided I should write a book. And um, with Micro Mega Publications, I was able to write my book. It took me about three weeks to sit down and write it because every single thing in my book is real. There's no embellishments. Whatever happened in the book is real. So, But so much, Nivashni, and so much has happened. How do you sift yes. through that entire journey, that painful journey, all those ups and downs? And you're also dealing with science here. So you need to be, there needs to be a level of accuracy about what you're writing and what you're stating. How did you, you know, go through that timeline and put it all into a coherent narrative? Well, um, firstly, I'm a journalist, so I'm a writer. But yeah, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have asked you that question <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was also because I'm I, when I took on this battle to try and have a baby and to fight polycystic ovarian syndrome, I took it on fully. So because I had Professor Bagrati, who didn't know I was writing a book, by the way, until it was published, um, he at every single appointment he would tell me what was going on, and he was so good in explaining the condition to me that um, I remembered everything. So all I had to do was tap into my memories, which I have to say was extremely difficult. There were moments when I had to just stop writing, take a walk, because I remembered the pain of um, feeling like a failure. And then there were moments when I remembered hearing Riyav's first heart the heartbeat and seeing him smile for the first time. So it was a very 
strange uh, method of writing, but I managed to get it done, and I'm very happy with the final product. Did it ever become overwhelming, reliving those memories, those experiences? Did you ever have to stop? Uh, yes, it did. I had to stop. Um, there were chapters um, which I wrote. I would read a chapter to my husband every night, and then he had asked me to stop reading it to him because he didn't want to relive it in that sense. He'd become very emotional. And when it was only when I'd reread it, I'd remember. And the reality of polycystic ovarian syndrome is that the memories hurt. They really hurt, but they also push you to continue fighting. So it, it's just an unexplainable battle. You know, on that note, Nivashni, I've got two messages here. Uh, sad professor's gone, but a professor, I hope you're listening. Uh, this is, I, I don't know who this is. The message is from Chantal, I believe. I'm not sure. I think it is Chantal. Uh, hi, Professor. Uh, professor is my god on earth. After battling PCOS for over 10 years, I started seeing Professor in June 2019. I fell pregnant in December, and with all the help and guidance of Professor, I'm currently nine months pregnant and booked for a sh- scheduled C-section on Wednesday the 9th. Professor is most amazing. He's a true father figure and personal motivation. Um, wow, great to hear. But Nivashni, to, to those... I mean, what we gathered from the science of it after speaking to Professor Bhagrati and speaking to you about the, the, the physical journey through it, what we understand is that it's not easy and it, it requires a lot, a lot of work, a lot. You need to put in so much of work um, and still sometimes the processes and the expensive treatments that one goes through uh, could backfire, could fail. It's, it, you know, it, it, it's not as simple as treating um something as common as the cold for example if you you know excuse me for making that that just uh, that parallel so a lot of women then will take all of this into account now and be quite despondent saddened depressed even what do you say to them about the possibility that there could be light at the end of the tunnel well firstly i want to, i'm going to use an analogy that i used yesterday at the book fair And I'm going to say it again because it features quite prominently in my book. Um, My husband likes Michael Walton, and he listens to it every day. And there was a song there. It's called Go the Distance. It's from the soundtrack Hercules. And it speaks about a warrior in a fight who has to overcome a lot of obstacles despite everything being against him, everything against the odds. And it speaks about a hero's welcome once he wins. And that became the soundtrack to our journey. So I want every woman who is battling this, as well as every man, because it's not just a woman battling it. It's a a partner. I want them to know that you can go the distance. And when you think that you can't, I want you to remember me. Because people, there were some doctors who had told me that I would never have a baby. There were doctors that said that I I would never lose weight. I went to three surgeries, five failed IUIs, one failed IVF transfer. I lost 28 kgs. I went to gym and ran on a treadmill for five kilometers every day. And when you're ready to give up, I just want you to remember me. And if you remember me, you'd realize that you can do it too, that you can go the distance. 
Powerful, powerful to say the least. Let's wrap up with some messages. Now, Jan Pillay in Pretoria says, wow, your guest on the show is the most informative show. Thanks, Professor Nivashni, and you're welcome. Um, and then here's a message from Kubashni. Nivashni, congratulations on the launch of your book. May you have continued success in your fight against polycystic ovarian syndrome and bringing awareness to it in South Africa and the world. Lots of love from Kubashni, Wesley and Shri and Ram Sami, your biggest supporters. Yeah, and I think we'll end off on that point, support. I mean, it's coming through quite strongly. Um, you know, how important is family support or spousal support when a woman is going through this? Well, I've been very blessed in the fact that my husband has been with me through the process from the beginning to end, as well as my parents and siblings and my colleagues uh, and friends. And um, I always say that I should be surprised that um, I shouldn't be surprised that people are responding so well to the book because in 2014, when I declared war against polycystic ovarian syndrome, I was shocked by the, uh, by the support of virtual strangers. People who I hadn't met kept telling me to continue fighting. But I know that a lot of people may not have that same support, and that's why I'm saying to them, um, I have a Facebook page. If ever you need advice, you're more than welcome to pop in and ask a question. But you must find your tribe. And that tribe usually is right around you. If you just speak up and tell your story to your partner, to your parents, to a friend, they will listen. There's nothing to be ashamed of. One more message and then we wrap up. Uh, let's go to this. I think it's Rajendra who sent this message. I like your topic. I admire heroes like Nivashni. I myself have chronic disabilities. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and then re-diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and um, spongilotis, uh, spongilitis and was diagnosed with colon cancer. I know it's, uh, it, it's way off topic, but my message is we have two choices. That is, we either cuddle up and feel sorry or slowly wither away or get up and be a survivor and worry and be bigger than our medical setbacks. So it's amazing to see, Nivashni, how your story is, you know, crossing onto uh, medical conditions. Not only um, are people, uh, people who don't even have PCOS are also being um, inspired by it. We leave it there with you, Nivashni Nair Sukhdev. Thanks for your time and wish you all the best with the book. And uh, may your quest, you know, continue strength to strength and we'd like to profile it as it does. Thank you so much. And thank you for showing an interest in raising awareness for the both conditions. No worries at all. That was Nivashni Nair Sukhdev, author of What's on My Mind? Making Babies. Okay, we're going to leave the program there now. It came your way courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. Team's back between 6 and 7. They'll talk to you bright and breezy. From me, Tareesh, hey, have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.